Alice Vickery and you are listening to Dingbat Chat, the podcast where I try weird and wonderful new experiences and then talk to an expert, usually after it's gone just a little bit wrong. This is episode 16. Man, I'm racing through the weeks. I started out in Melbourne four months ago and now I've moved this baby up to Cairns to get a new load of fun up here. And this podcast is not complete without some input on Instagram, so be sure to fully immerse yourself in the fun and visual games on social media with liking and sharing and following and all the things that you can do. Modern technology. Wowza. What a thing. Now, we've all seen animals before, right? Heck, I'd even say that 99.9% of the world have probably seen more than one. But for me, they've all been the British classics. You know, grey pigeons, black and white cows and rusty red foxes, only if I'm lucky. Coming out to Australia, I was prepared for all the colours of the rainbow. And though I did have a taste, it wasn't until I visited the wildlife habitat in Port Douglas that I really had the full experience. Birds are more colourful than the flowers that surrounded them. Crocodiles blinking at me with their three eyelids. Kangaroos and koalas and lizards and just a variety of animals that I've never experienced before. So I picked Rebecca's brain and as the manager of the wildlife habitat, she had a clue and a half as to why I found these creatures so exciting. Now without further ado, I give you episode 16 of Dingbat Chat. The Animals of Oz. Hello there. I am currently in the wildlife habitat in Port Douglas on a rather sunny day. But I don't know if you can hear, I'm sitting now surrounded by lots of wonderful coloured birds and the lovely Rebecca. Hello. Hi, how are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Are you having a nice day? I sure am. It's always beautiful up here in far north Queensland. It is. Like, it genuinely is. I've literally come from Melbourne about three days ago, and immediately my skin is no longer the colour of milk, so I'm very happy about that. But you, Rebecca, so you work here in the Wildlife Habitat. What's your role? How did you get there? Give us a... Introduce yourself. Uh, Well, I'm Wildlife Manager here at Wildlife Habitat. I've been here for about six years now. I moved up from the Gold Coast down on the southeast Queensland border and uh, relocated the family up here to um, to join Wildlife Habitat. And I've been here ever since and moving up the ranks and loving every day. So what is it about Wildlife Habitat then? Because obviously me coming along and seeing all the animals, I see what you're supposed to see as a a tourist sort of coming and seeing all the wonderful things that live here. What did you see as someone who's so invested in, in wildlife yourself? Well, what really grabbed me was the the open air environments here. It's just so important to be able to see animals enjoying themselves and uh, and being able to wander around and interact with not only members of their own species or conspecifics, but with other species as well in a safe type of environment. Um, So being able to walk through these huge aviaries, it was just absolutely spectacular seeing all these different species interacting with one another, um, their ability to be able to to not only breed, but to to move around uh, as they wished. And uh, it just gave a 
really beautiful example or snapshot of far north Queensland and this particular wet tropic region, which is very, very unique. It's, it, it, it was magical actually walking around yesterday because when you go to a zoo per se, it feels like the animals are out of place because they're in their cages, their grounds. But walking around here, it, it was very much like you're away, you're in nature. It was beautiful actually. I was very, very happy to come along. So I see you have a big passion for it. Where did that start? When you were little? Did you see something? What, what sparked it for you? Uh, I've always had had a um, a love for animals from a very very young age, I, and I was very lucky because I had parents who really nurtured that. So they'd always been around animals as well. My mum in particular. Uh, so that meant that um, that we were always allowed to have animals when we were little. So we always had uh, guinea pigs and rabbits, and then it grew into horses and birds. And uh, and I've just always had animals. I've always been around them. Always wanted to work with them and just be involved. But I couldn't be a vet because it's too sad. I didn't want to be around sick and injured animals all the time. So um, so be- becoming a wildlife keeper is just really the best of both worlds. You get to, to be involved with a little bit of the veterinary side of things, but it's mainly about breeding and, um, and trying to create uh, habitats which are naturalistic and, um, and make sure they're healthy and, um, and well looked after. For you, going from that step up from guinea pigs and horses, things that I'm very used to, to crocodiles and koalas, I mean, how did that, how did that step feel, sort of entering a slightly more... I don't know, interesting, exotic environment. Well, it's more about um, creating an appreciation. So, as you said, it's yeah, a lot of people are scared of, of certain creatures and species. And I think the more you can learn about them and appreciate them, that then leads into potential conservation. So, it's very important to try and get that message across. Um, and that's what we're all about. It's, um, it's, it's okay to be scared of things. It's okay to be nervous. But, hey, let's learn a bit about them. Uh, perhaps appreciate some aspects. You don't have to love them. But, um, but appreciation, it yeah. goes a long way. Well, they are, because they are incredible creatures. I mean, what would you say, personally, after being here for a while now, I suppose, is your favourite? I get asked this so often, <laughs> and it is such a difficult, yeah. it's such a difficult one to answer. Um, I think it, it does vary because I have such a range. But I, I look, I love, I love the raptors, I love the birds, uh, the, the L small passerines here. So I probably, I really love the finches. Um, finches are really special, something that I hadn't had much to do before with before I moved here and um, and worked with them here. Um, but I love the black neck stork, which is our, our beautiful big stork that we have in the wetlands. Do you know, I saw the black neck stork yesterday. We weren't quite sure what it was and we weren't quite sure if it was real. And then we came around the corner it's just, it was so huge and so beautiful. It's a male one that you have, isn't it? We have a male and a female. A female as well. Where's the female hiding? So the female's in the wetlands oh. So and, um, the, and the male, which is actually her son, is in the rainforest. So he bred, he, he, he was actually hatched here about four years ago. And um, and this this facility here is actually the only place where black neck storks have ever bred in captivity in the entire world. What is it about what's been that stopping it before? So we think it has a lot to do with um, not only the environment that they're in, but also the fact that they're not wing-clipped. So in a lot of environments, because these birds are so large, it's quite difficult to have an aviary large enough to house them. Um, so often their, their wings are clipped, uh, which means that they can't fly properly, whereas the breeding procedure for these animals is very, very important because the, the male will actually breed with the female standing up. So the balance is very important. So to have your wings is a really good thing. But, yeah, that's right. But, but it's actually... Um, got to do with um, them being a good match in the first place is you can't just put a male and female and hope for the best Um, it it has to be a right match and you have to have all of the conditions right so the variety of species and animals in Australia what is it about the environment that's that's bred that do you think 
let's go back, you know, hundreds of thousands of years and break us up into into the supercontinents and um, you know, going back into into history. Um, but it really is. We, we were divided into into original continents. That the, the world was, you know, back into your Gondwana land and uh, and and Laurasia. It's those those types of um, divisions uh, enabled the growth of very very unique and specific animals to those regions. So we have a lot of um, similarities between some of our, um, our animals that are found here in Australia, but also our our, our neighbours, but also even in other continents on the other side of the world, um, there are some similarities. So what's really unique about Australia, though, is that most of our mammals are actually marsupials as opposed to um, being placental mammals, which you find sort of more over in the Americas, and which is very unique to this continent. For the people that don't quite know the definition between marsupials and placenta mammals... <laughs> feel free to elaborate. Cool. So um, a placental mammal is uh, like, like we're, we're humans are placental mammals. So we, uh, we grow our babies inside our bodies um, via a placenta within a womb, within inside the body. Um, marsupial is actually um, uh, an embryo is, is born after a very, very short gestation period. So just as example, a, um, a bandicoot, for instance, is only 12-day gestation period. A koala, 35-day uh, gestation period. Um, and after they're, they're, they're then born and that embryo has to find its way, it's born out the cloaca. So that's another thing that uh, marsupials all have, one hole for um, urination, for defecation and also giving birth if they're female. And the baby has to, or Joey, has to find its way into a pouch, which is a small pocket of skin um, where that animal can actually uh, get inside and uh, attach itself to a teat. And most of the growth of that, that embryo then is actually done externally from the body within that pouch environment. So, so a joey isn't just a kangaroo baby, it's, it's all marsupials, embryos growing. Yeah, that's correct. So your wombats are joeys, your, your koalas are joeys. Yeah, so all marsupial babies are generally termed as joeys. That's crazy. And obviously there's nothing like that in Britain, is there? I mean, from what I know of, and America as well, I suppose. Oh, bear, bears are bears are placental, placental. aren't they? So I'm just going through all the animals now, thinking what mammals are what. I mean, when you go from Britain and compare it to Australian animals and the difference between the two, the... Um, not ferociousness, I don't want to say, but the, the, the fear factor of, say, a crocodile to a fox is quite a vast difference. We don't have big animals, but I suppose that must come down again to the environment. I know you say sort of the appreciation side of it is, is what takes away that fear. Do you think Australians appreciate that? Do you think tourists appreciate that when they come in, that it, it's better to actually look at what they have rather than what you don't have compared to them? Do you think... Yeah, look, um, look. Australia does have a lot of venomous uh, animals, you know, ranging from jellyfish to to really large land-based and aquatic predators as well. But I think again, if you if you compare us to other other countries, so even the Americas or in Africa, they've got really large predators, big cats. You know, you've got your lions and tigers in Asia, and uh, uh, you've got all sorts of um, animals in different regions of the world. So I think it is what you get used to. But to be to be perfectly honest, I was born in in southern southern Australia and um, down in Victoria, and we never had crocodiles. You don't have crocodiles down there, so moving up here was a big eye opener for me um, because your way of life just adjusts. Um, it's simply you just you, you find out where the safe places are to go, and you go there. And I don't even think twice about not swimming at the beach here. It's just getting used to your environment and being aware of um, of, of what the parameters are and being safe and and living living alongside these animals i mean it, this world is theirs is just as much as it's ours and um and if we can if we can live and and not impact each other too badly well you know is that's just the ultimate
And this place, obviously, the wildlife habitat is the perfect example of where you can possibly do that. So, obviously, yesterday I came in and had a look at all of them. We say about the crocodiles earlier. They've been seen more and more over the last hour of long. So why is that in the first place? You know, why are they suddenly increasing? Well, I'm glad you really you asked that because we have a lot of people asking us, you know, well, why all of a sudden are they in plague proportions? Look, crocodiles aren't in plague proportions. What's happening is that these animals were hunted almost to the edge of extinction. Um, back in the 50s, it was not, it was commonplace to go out and shoot crocodiles uh, on the weekend or, you know, after work. Um, so these animals really were affected massively by, by hunting. Um, what's happened since these animals have been protected, so it's illegal to actually go out and kill a crocodile now. If you go out and, and um, uh, kill all the animals, at some point in time, the animals are going to start recovering. So the populations are going to start recovering. So all of a sudden you're going to start seeing animals in areas that you haven't seen for 20 years or 30 years, but they were actually inhabiting those areas beforehand. So you get this generation that's, that's stuck in between thinking, well, I used to swim here when I was, a, I was a kid and there was never any crocodiles and now it's not safe to go down there. And it's, it's really just because those, those areas have now been re-inhabited by animals that were essentially hunted out of those, those regions, um, you know, decades ago. So I think it's very important for people to be mindful that, um, that the environment always finds a way to... to, to to work itself out it's like a it's like a pair of scales once those animals get to a certain level they will monitor their own population appropriately so these larger animals will keep the younger animals down um, they'll predate on their on their own young if they're smaller uh, and those the, the numbers of, of animals will end up just just plateauing there's no reason why we can't all live together in harmony um, you know to an extent but of, of course human life is important if you've got animals that have been uh, have been fed and that are showing uh, that they're, they're, they're really, really uh, not scared of, of humans and becoming a problem in areas like boat ramps and things like that. Look, obviously, absolutely, those animals um, are, are potentially going to cause a, a dramatic problem and potentially take a life. So removing them and relocating them is, is probably the best thing to do. However, if we don't get involved with artificially feeding them or... Um, you know, doing things that we shouldn't be doing with them in the first place, we can all live amongst one another and, um, and we just need to be mindful and respectful that we're not the only people that live on this earth. I believe the whole thing with hunting with crocodiles was to do with uh, their skin, their leather for handbags and things like that. Why is that? Like, what is it about that that, that makes them so wanted, that makes that so wanted? Well, initially back then, it wasn't so much of um, for handbags and things. It was more of a necessity, just try, just getting a hold of leather and um, and for food as well. Um, and because you know what, you could get a lot of kudos from your mates if you went out and shot a you know a four meter crocodile. Um, and so it was for locals more than you know shopping over to another country. Yeah, absolutely. They certainly weren't looking at sh- shipping crocodiles over. Certainly, people would come from overseas to um, to shoot crocodiles, similar to what they do with um, big game over in Africa, which is you know it's it's a horrible thing. But um, but realistically, the the skin trade um, for crocodiles has really only really taken off uh, more in the last couple of decades. Um, when you've got your big couture houses, um, 
coming on board and wanting uh, uh, cro- crocodile skin um, handbags and belts and shoes and um, and it's become a real um, a, a, a really really profitable enterprise so um, so crocodiles can be farmed um, in Queensland so and, and they are farmed in Queensland um, but they're done so sustainably and um, and they're not actually um, they're not actually collected from the wild and then made into a handbag for instance because right. in that situation the the skins are just are, are too worn they're too scratched up so they're actually looked after pretty well right. and um, and nurtured so they have beautiful skin um, and um, and they're graded so that the whole process is all done by CITES and it, it's it's very very well regulated and approached respectfully as it should be in the first place well it's just like with any other animal isn't it yeah. pretty much so I mean and so that's one side of the care and conservation is actually rebuilding the population and then there, there's the other side where people always say that unless you interact with certain animals you can't really appreciate them for what they are and so you don't care and I suppose one of the things where they really like to do that in Australia is koalas so so it's like building that oh they're so cute I love them I really want to care about them they do that with all baby animals I'm like koalas are full-grown babies they're wonderful they're so cute it hurts I held one yesterday and it smelled wonderful it smelled like eucalyptus trees so I just didn't want to let it go but I suppose they just like to hang on don't they and then I heard afterwards that Tia was only allowed for half an hour Mm -hmm. a day and it's only in a couple of states in Australia so so why is that where does that come from? So essentially um, koalas are obviously our icon animal Um, you know people come to Australia they want to see a koala they want to see a kangaroo Um, koalas are are quite uh, a sedentary animal they don't move around too much Uh, they like to sleep sleep is very important for them because of uh, the, the type of food that they eat they need a long time to be able to process that food so to enable us to be able to interact well with with koalas so we don't have people going through if you sort of compare you can go through and hand feed kangaroos the kangaroos can come over to you um that it's it's completely up to them if they'd like to do so with the koalas they're sitting in a tree all the time and someone's going up there and patting them all the time you're waking them up and it's it's not great for them which is why these we have these regulations so these regulations are actually um very heavily uh regulated and, um, and we actually uh, can get ordered at any time. So we number every single minute that the animal is out of their enclosure, um, up to 30 minutes. And um, they only are permitted to work for three days and then they must have a day off. So, and then they, can, they, then they can have their 30 minutes start again. But we try to regulate it so they're not working as much as that if we can possibly help that. But that means that they're only being disturbed for that 30 minutes um, um, for the day, which means the rest of the day is theirs to to sleep and eat and, and do what they do best which is um, look cute and uh, and be adored by all yeah. uh, so look again I think it comes down to what what is really important we have so many people who come here from other countries and almost crying saying it's been their life goal just to be able to see one of these animals up close and appreciate them and, and see them firsthand and to have the opportunity to actually even hold one is just just a very unique and uh, an amazing experience. Um, we're also very very particular with the way that we handle our koalas. We know them very well. Uh, it's it's like um, people having their animals at home. They know how their animals 
behave when they're stressed or when they're happy, when they're excited, when they just want to sleep. And we, and that is exactly how we are. The, the, the people who are working, our keepers who are working with the koalas are very well trained um, and have been working with them for a really long time. And they know exactly when they've had enough and we will call a session if we feel that we need to straight away. And, um, and thankfully we have a great workplace that supports that. It's all about the animals for us. And if we feel at any time that they're, they're, they're being compromised in any way, um, they go in the tree and it's sorry everyone you know that's it for today but it is about them and it was such a special incredible experience actually holding on i think i had her ear very near my mouth and i was just like oh, i just can't believe i'm touching a koala and yet like feeding a kangaroo which are, they're very bizarre creatures in a very interesting i like i loved looking at them because their faces are like mice but really really big the way they hunch over it's just there was so so many things that you don't see until you're there in person recognizing it and as you said earlier they'll see don't approach you unless they want to approach you is that a big attitude you have here so obviously you go to some places and they're like come on people see the animals and it's that crowding in kind of thing mm. you very much sort of let the, let the humans stay on the path and let the animals come up to you if they want to yeah that's correct and um look unfortunately sometimes you can have as many signs as you like saying to yeah, please stay on the pathway so we do have to regulate that and go down just you know gently remind people sometimes to, to stay on the pathways and to give the animals their space because look this is their home this is this is their place and and they know where they want to want to hang out they know that they can approach people um and and look many of the birds are the same there's even a little bird in here that will come down and land on people's shoulders and say hi a tiny little finch and it's completely up to her if she wants to do what she will she'll select certain people and the kangaroos and wallabies are the same don't push it well that was honestly i i it was it was a bit of a dream sort of seeing all these animals yesterday because it's been on my tv that's been david attenborough my entire life and actually seeing them in person was incredible overall how do you think i did on a scale of one to ten being a dingbat myself when it comes to these animals how would you say i did I think you did fabulously. I, I can definitely see that there's an appreciation there. <laughs> and, um, and look, to, to, to get out there and, and try these things and, uh, and, and brave the far north Queensland region um, with all the stories that you heard of scary animals, look, I think you've done fantastic. Come, come back and visit us again soon. I will, absolutely. You won't be able to stop me. Thank you so much, Rebecca. I've had a wonderful time. I hope you have too. I sure have. Thank you so much for having me. Wonderful. Not just seeing, but interacting with these animals was an experience like no other. Safe to say I will never be able to look at a placental mammal in the same way again. Thank you so much, as always, to my lovely listeners. Be sure to check out all the crazy critters and tell me which one was your favourite on Instagram and Apple Podcasts. And prepare yourself for episode 17 of Dingbat Chat and whatever surprise Cairns has to offer me next week. Oh, it's going to be a humdinger.